Lord, we praise you and thank you for Scripture. We know all Scripture will reveal Jesus. That's our desire, Lord. We don't want just another teaching. We don't want an intellectual discourse, Lord. We don't want more information, oh Lord. We want Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, you are King of Kings. Once again, Lord, we declare that. Come and speak to your people. And Holy Spirit, bring illumination. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. Please be with me, Lord. Um, empower me, enable me. All that's been prepared, we yield it back to you, Lord. And in all things, be glorified. And we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a first question. Do you have a family tree in your homes? You have a family tree, I know. The question is whether you know your family tree. And how many of us here in Singapore, which is a fairly young nation, 50 years, you know, have you ever considered your own family tree? And if you were to sort of construct one, would it be meaningful for you? Or would it just be names to you? And let's be honest, sometimes just names to us is good. Some family members or relatives, after you get to know them, you may not want to know them. Do you know the history or the background of the names of those in your family and your ancestors? Chances are we may not know, right? We may know up to a certain uh, level and then we, we lose the records because of, of um, distance or of time. See, tonight I want to talk about this topic and I struggled with this title and I went through a few and I finally ended up with this one. I called it All in the Family. If you know your Bible from Matthew chapter 1, we're going to talk about a genealogy. Will you promise to pray for me? It's a tough assignment. How many of you love to read the genealogies in the Bible? How many of you would, in your Bible, memory verses would pick chronicles and memorize a genealogy? It's really tough. And yet, when we go through an understanding of genealogy, we can see that it is actually very rich and very full. In fact, I have been very, very blessed in my study and my research in preparing this. And I'm praying that this would be a meaningful session for all of here tonight also. And so, because of the length of the passage tonight, I'm going to jump straight into the teaching. And I think it's good if we read God's Word, even if it's a genealogy. And so I have it up there on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Are you still with me? Can you wave at me if you are awake? Thank you. 
Let's continue. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. And Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. And Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Can you go on? And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheatiel, and Sheatiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abuit, Abuit begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot Eliud, Eliud begot Eliezer, Eliezer begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. How come no thanks be to God? <laughs> is this the word of the Lord? Yes, it is. Amen, right? And so this is a genealogy. Let's begin by understanding the importance of genealogy. And rather than for me to teach it as an authority, um, this is what someone has said here. And let me read this to you very quickly by uh, a scholar or a writer, a commentator called Robert Deffenborg. Genealogies were especially important to the Jewish people. Israel's king had to be a Jew and not a foreigner. Later on, it was revealed that he must be a descendant of David. When the Jews returned from the Babylonian captivity, it was important for these written exiles to show that their roots were Jewish and could be traced through the genealogies. No one could serve as priest whose name could not be found in the genealogical records. Brunner writes that the famous Rabbi Hillel was proud that he could trace his genealogy all the way back to King David. He further indicates that Josephus began his autobiography with his own pedigree. Then there was Herod the Great, who was half Jew and half Edomite. Obviously, his name was not in the official genealogies. And thus, he ordered that the records be destroyed. If he couldn't be found there, he didn't want to be upstaged by anyone else. That's the importance that the Jews would place on genealogy. It is a historical record as we would learn. And so tonight, as we go through verses 1 to 17, let's begin by perhaps me sharing with you a few observations first. I think that would be helpful because it would help you uh, take out certain things from a whole long list of begots and begots and begots. Yeah? 
So let's start with observations and then after that, see how it applies to us as Kingdom 101 people, people who desire to know the King, know His Kingdom, as well as to understand and even receive our assignments. And so if you're ready, let's journey together. The first thing we see is this one word called genealogy. This is the book or the record of the genealogy of Jesus. Now, this word genealogy has uh, obviously is translated from the Greek, and the Greek actually reads as geneseos. Geneseos. It comes from a root verb called genomai. Now, I know this is Greek to you because it is. And the word genomai actually is a verb that means to form, to begin or to come into existence. Now, I love word studies because they give you a clue as to what the other word that is derived from these root words would mean, and we have a better grasp of it. Now, there are other derivatives of that word, genomine. Now, these words will be definitely more um, familiar to you. We have genea, where we have this word generations, lineage, or race, or kind. Now, remember in Genesis, it says that God made uh, different kinds, right, from the first prototype. It can also mean species. Now, we also have another word called genesis. Now, genesis actually means birth. And when we come back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, where we talk about the birth of Jesus Christ, we will visit and see this word called birth down there. Now, there's also an extension called egeneto, egeneto, to become, right? So it's, you're something first, and then to become. It didn't start that way, but it will become. Now, if you know your Bible, John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word what? Became flesh, to tell you and to show you that Jesus didn't start out as flesh. Jesus was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. He's divine. But this divinity, Egeneto, became, you see? And then there's this word that we are very familiar with, where in English now we pronounce it as Genesis. So once we look at these different derivatives, we begin to have a different understanding or a better understanding of genealogy. Now this word beginning, let's look at it. It gives us also a clue to go back to the book of Genesis. And I believe that there's a hint that we can see Matthew was paralleling, paralleling something in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, we have the exact phrasing in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. The book of the genealogy of Adam. Can you see that parallel? And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus. And Matthew, I believe, was showing something very special here. The Jews would have known the Torah. The Jews would have known the very first book of the Torah. And to understand the beginning of humanity, the birth of Adam or the genealogy of Adam, there was a first Adam, but we know today that Jesus is the last Adam. So there's a parallel that we see in this genealogy that Mo, uh, um, Matthew was trying to uh, uh, give a message down there. 
Jesus is not just a Genesis. Jesus is a new Genesis for humanity. Jesus is the new beginning, the new Genesis for Adam. Now, Adam is not a name just for a man. Adam refers to mankind, humanity. And this is a beautiful revelation because when we look at Jesus, we see a brand new start. When we see Adam, everything fell. But because Matthew has begun now with the same phrasing, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, he is giving mankind a new beginning. Hallelujah. Just from this very first line. And when we look at that, we see the marvel of Scripture to see how Matthew was so precise in his recording that would give us this understanding. And let's go on. Because from this word of... Um, Genesis or genealogy, we actually have our English understanding of genes, genetics. This is where we get it, right? So when you look at um, people in biogenetics or in whatever kind of uh, uh, genetic engineering now, they are trying to, to, to modify, can I say? Uh, they're trying to manipulate, it's not a very nice word, but actually that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create a new beginning. They are trying to go back to a genesis. So they are doing all they can to try to have certain breakthroughs and some are okay, some are not. You know what's our problem? As they are manipulating and as they are modifying our challenges, that genes are now mutating. That's why you got X-Men series. You don't laugh, you know. These are things that are, are real, you understand? Now we may not see them with forked tongues. I hope not. Yet. Or, or, or crazy, crazy things. But genes are mutating. That's a fact. And we're having a big problem there. And I can tell you this one thing. Mankind's hope is not in genetics. It's in Jesus Christ. You see, we're trying to improve life. And praise God for their brains. But however smart they are, with all due respect to them, Jesus is still the answer. Now, even in the church, we have a teaching. When we look at things like um, generations, right? And the there's a teaching about generational curses, you know, and we are going back to the forefathers, you know, you know if they sin and they, they worship this and they worship that, you know, then it's going to come through that generational line. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to teach on that, but I'll make you one comment. Okay, I've seen people being set free in that once they understand it and they pray and they break free of that. Praise the Lord. But I'm wondering, is it really a generational line or is it what we call a gene rational line? Okay, that we're rationalizing that it's always in our genes. You know, it's come through our genes. That's why I'm like that, Lord. You know, and we are rationalizing and putting the blame onto someone else. In other words, to say, it's not my fault, it's someone else. Now, if you want to blame like that, now you must blame all the way to Adam. Leh. You have to. You've got to keep severing and cutting all the way to Adam. And that's why Matthew is telling us something down here. In Adam, all die. In Adam, no hope. In Adam, big problems. Now, we have a new beginning. His name is Jesus Christ. Because he has taken every curse upon himself. I praise God for people who are set free from generational curses. 
But I can tell you that some people in their mindsets, however they pray for them, they are still holding on to a gene rationale because they don't want to take responsibility for their own lives and for their own decisions. They prefer to always pass it on to someone else. And tonight I want to encourage you, friends, we have Jesus Christ. It's a new genesis. If you have Jesus Christ, it's a new beginning. You are a new creation. The old has Past, it's gone. And I want to encourage you, don't keep looking back. Today, you can move forward. Who wants to say amen? amen? All right, so that's only the beginning. Man, I'm only on the first line. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus. But Jesus what? It's not Jesus the man, although he's the, he's the last Adam. He's the final one. But Jesus the Messiah. Now that's Matthew's objective. Remember, he's writing to the Jews. And at that point in time, the Jews were already wondering, you know, are you sure he's really the Messiah? You know, time has gone by and, and this, these are Christians, Jews, Jewish Christians, and they're wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? Now let's look at how Matthew actually does this. He starts with the book of the genealogy of Jesus, what? Christ. Now, please don't take Christ as a surname because Joseph was never Christ. It was not Mr. and Mrs. Christ. It is Jesus what? Christ. And that's the Greek translation, Christos. But in the Hebrew, it is Jesus the Messiah. So he introduces by saying, this is the genealogy of your Messiah, guys. And then he goes into the begots and the forgots. And just in case you've forgotten, by the time we reach verse 16, he summarizes and he says, Of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, and don't forget her, who is called Christ, the Messiah. And in case you still don't get the picture, then you must read verse 17. And he says, and so this is what it is, the generations from Abraham all the way down to Babylon until the Christ. It's like if you can't get this into your head, something is not right. You need to be awakened. It's not just Jesus the man, it is Jesus the Messiah. Now, how does you know, Matthew prove this? So he goes on. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, as well as the son of Abraham. See, you know that a kingly descendant must come from a kingly line. And everybody in, in, in Jerusalem or all of Israel, they are always looking to David. It's always David. His, he is like the reference point. He the man. He the king. And we know from the Davidic covenant, Matthew didn't have to explain this. Every Jew would have known this. So he's quoting or almost alluding to the Davidic covenant, which is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 to 13, where God promises David to say that I will set up your seed after you. Now we know that was fulfilled in Solomon. But it could not have been just Solomon. Because after that, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom, not for one generation, not for two generations, not for ten, but for ever. 
is an everlasting kingdom. And so Matthew looks at the Davidic covenant and declares that in the genealogy. This is Jesus the Christ, who is not anyone's son. He is a descendant of King David. In one sweep, in one of a few lines, the son of David, he also talks about a prophetic fulfillment. Because Old Testament is full of, Old Test, of, of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And we know, for example, from Isaiah chapter 11, it is quoted that the Messiah will come and He will be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, if you don't know who Jesse is, go home, refer to the genealogy. His name is there. Right? Okay, uh, after Jesse comes, David, you see? Right? And so it's a, it's a Davidic um, uh, uh, signal down there. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 to 6, that there will come a ruler who shall be a righteous branch of David. Those are the prophetic books. Later on, Ezekiel, he says that my servant David will be king. Obviously, David is not going to you know, come back to rule. It is definitely um, appointing to the son of David. Now, he doesn't stop there. He goes all the way back. He says, not only is he a son of David, he is also the son of Abraham. If the son of David would establish the royal line of Jesus, then the son of Abraham would establish the Jewish line, the family heritage of Jesus, that he is a Jew, right? Because there's no... No, no foreigner can be a Messiah. He must be a Jew and he must descend from the line of David. Now, every Jew will again understand and know the name of Abraham. And what's the most important promise that we have about, that was given to Abraham? Is the Abrahamic covenant or the promise in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. So in one short phrase, he's a son of Abraham. This is the Christ. We see that, number one, we see he's a descendant of Abraham and Matthew establishes national identity. Number two, he says, through this Messiah, all nations will be blessed. There will be a national identity, but there will be a global impact. Now, how will he be blessed? Or how will other nations be blessed? They will be blessed because they will come under His rule and reign, and you're going to have kingdom influence. See, Matthew was clear where he understood the Abrahamic covenant. Now, if you want to go a little bit further, we will see that there was a promise that was given to Abraham and to Sarah. In fact, when God was pronouncing a name change upon Abram to Abraham, and upon Sarai to become Sarah, you will see in the references that I've provided for you in Genesis chapter 17, that he tells Abram, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. You see, there's a royalty that is already embedded in that promise. And to Sarai, I will bless her, she shall be a mother of nations, kings of peoples shall be from her. And so we know from Abraham would come David, and from David will come Jesus. 
There's also a prophetic fulfillment at a time where Joseph pronounces a blessing in Egypt on, upon Judah. And he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so from Abraham to Judah, Judah all the way down to David, David all the way down to Jesus, there is a royal decree and a royal line that cuts right through. So that's the intent of um, Matthew. And so let's look at these three names. Matthew says, look, this is about Jesus. He's not just a man. He is the Messiah. And I'm proving to you he's the Messiah because he is the son of David and he is also the son of Abraham. How are we doing for verse 1? Are you ready to go on to verse 2? All right, now we're going to press the fast-forward button. Everyone say, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, so we press the fast-forward button, and there we go. All right, Abraham to David, Solomon to Jeconiah, Jeconiah to Jesus. Now, this is verses, uh, verses 2 all the way down to verse 16. Okay, now let's see what we can observe uh, from this genealogy. Now, let me just point out something first to you. Uh, people have counted, and some have said that, you know, you have to put, you have to put David here, then you have to put David up here and it put, brings Josiah down, okay? Then Jeconiah goes up here. Uh, or some, as you read the text, it will say Abraham to David, and then later on, Solomon to Jeconiah, because he sort of straddles the kingdom as well as the exile, and then after that, from the exile, including Jesus, okay? So depending on how you want to count, you know, um, there are a couple of ways to look at this, but let's not get tripped up you know, with where to place it. I'm more interested in the bigger picture that would bless you rather than, a, than to confuse you. And so let's look at this genealogy. Do you realize that Matthew, if you were here in the previous message, Matthew loves his Old Testament. Matthew knows his Old Testament. And because he's talking to his country people, he has to refer to the Old Testament because even if he wanted to refer to a New Testament, there was no such thing as a New Testament. So the only scripture they had was the Old Testament. And the Jews knew their heritage. And so can you see right through the first uh, part of the genealogy is that you see the entire history of Israel. This is amazing. You say, where God? I only see names. Let me show it to you, okay? You want to do Old Testament survey? Do genealogy. Can you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? We have the fathers. We have the patriarchs of Israel. After we, from Judah onwards, we know that they went into Egypt. They spent 430 years in Egypt and they come out and they spend time in the wilderness. Round about there, they enter into the land and by the time it comes to the time of uh, Jesse, we already have King Saul, we know that. So we have the kingdom era in this first set of names. David would have ushered in the kingdom of God in that sense, uh, in its full reality. David and Solomon represents the golden era of Israel. Never again did they experience that. From that time, we, all the way down, we have the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom as well as the southern kingdom called Israel and Judah. All the way to Jeconiah, whose name is also Joachim. Jo was it Jehoiachin? 
Okay, you can look at this too. And then after that, he is carried and deported into exile. And by the time of Zerubbabel, they come back and this is the post-exile and we come to the time of Jesus. How's that for Old Testament survey? In five minutes, I give you a credit now. But you see, the Jews didn't have to go through this. One look at it, they would know. It's Old Testament. And what Matthew is saying is that, look at the whole Old Testament. It ends with Jesus. It culminates into Jesus. Everything that Old Testament is about, it's foretelling and pointing towards Jesus. Everything that God has given to Abraham spoke through the prophets. It is now realized in this name called Jesus. This is genealogy. See, they understand it because it is special and it's important to them, but it may mean nothing to any one of us. If we look at the whole thing here, then we say, okay, fine, let's look at genealogy and understand the last verse. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And then the next group, 14 generations. And then 14 again. And Matthew somehow deliberately organizes them into groups of 14 names. Right? The way he structures it. Now why the number 14? Why, why not 12? You know, 12 disciples, 12 tribes, right? Why, why not 10? 10 commandments. Why not 5? You know, number of grace, you know, and all that. Don't have 14. What an odd number. What a weird number. Now, they've gone in and they realized that this is David's Hebrew name. And Hebrew, as I understand it, they don't have vowels. So they're just consonants and it's pronounced David. You add in the vowels yourself. So it's a DVD. <laughs> Next time you hold your DVD, you say David. And that's the name of David. And using Hebrew numerology, where they attach um, a, a, num a numerical value to the letter. Now, D is the, four, uh, is the sixth letter of the Hebrew. Uh, v here is the fourth. And D again. 6 plus 4 plus 6 is, my apologies, it should be 464, four, all right? And it actually adds up the number 14. So everything is shouting, David and the son of David is a fulfillment of this Davidic promise. This is Matthew's intention. Now, not only that, you see that Passover is actually on the 14th day of the first month. Now, do you remember the very first Passover? God says, on the 10th day, you will get yourself a, an unblemished a lamb. But on the 14th day, that's where you sacrifice this lamb and you put the blood of this lamb upon the lintels and the doorposts of your house. And when I see the blood, I will then pass over while I bring a curse upon the rest of Egypt. And that's Passover. It is actually a number that represents salvation and deliverance. Can you see? And to the Jews, they will understand this again. But for us, we, we don't know. In fact, in Cantonese, we won't want this number. But yet, at the same time, quite true, like Jesus also starts sailor. <laughs> Correct? He had to die for us, for our salvation and for our deliverance. And Jesus became the Passover lamb. And John looks at him even before that and says that, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Isn't that wonderful? What else do we notice about this genealogy? You realize that in a very patriarchal society, there were names of women that were mentioned. And if you have been observant, I have not put the names here yet. There are actually four names first, and then a fifth one would come on later on. The very first name we are introduced to is this name called Tama. I'm not sure if you are familiar with the story of Tama. Some Christians, perhaps, you have never heard of this teaching about Tama. You can find Tama in Genesis chapter 38. Right in the middle of the story about Joseph, this dramatic story about his colorful coat and all that. You know, he's sold into slavery, he goes into Egypt. Somehow, Moses, the writer of Genesis, was inspired to take a little detour for a subplot. That subplot is Tamar. Let me give you a quick brief. Judah marries a Canaanite woman. Her name is Shua. And through her, they have three sons called Ur, Onan, and Shelah. First son, Ur, dies. And because Ur dies, and actually Ur marries Tamar first, okay? Ur, uh, uh, Judah brings Tamar to Ur, and both of them get married. But before they can have any offspring, Ur dies. And so, in the custom of those days, the brother will take over to further the family line. And so, we have this guy called Onan. But Onan was selfish. He says, look, I don't want to continue the family line. So, he was being rebellious and God judged him and he died. And then Judah says, wait, hang on, Tama, everyone you are with dies. Okay, not really your fault, it's because of your wickedness, but I tell you what, you go back to your father's house, you wait until Shelah, my youngest, grows up. Then I will pass you over to him, because if now, if he dies, uh, I cannot take it. Halfway through the story, Judah goes into the land where um, Tama is, and Tama must have waited quite a while. No Shelah, no third husband, and you know, she was getting a little bit upset perhaps, what does she do? She dresses up as a prostitute, as a harlot. And she sits by the side, maybe with an intent to deceive, but yet Judah himself solicits her. Both ways. Now, very interesting story, right? Getting ex- uh, interesting again, more, even more interesting. So Judah solicits her, negotiates a price of a young goat. He says, I don't have a young goat right now. And this woman then says, okay, why don't you leave me a pledge so that after the business, you can send a young goat and ret- I'll return this pledge to you, like a guarantee like that. Now, he, he, he does not recognize her as the daughter-in-law, okay? They finish the business. He sends the goat, but the friend who brings the goat can't find Tama. Because obviously, she has changed back into her identity and she has disappeared. So she goes back to, this friend goes back to Judah and Judah says, okay, law, so I, I keep my goat law. Three months later, Tama is found with child. And everyone looks at her and says, look, you are Judah's daughter-in-law. Bring her to Judah and say, you have been unfaithful, you have played the harlot. They didn't know that literally they, she did. Okay, And Judah was so upset that his daughter was sleeping with someone else and he says, judge her, make sure that she is burnt. 
And Tama says, okay, you can burn me, but the one who slept with me and gave me this child left me this pledge. And Judah looked at it and he knew that that was his. What an interesting movie this will make. This is Tama in the genealogy of Jesus the Christ. And so Tama was impregnated by Judah, father-in-law, through deception and incest. And she gives birth to the twins called Perez and Zerah. Do you see Perez there? Now you know the story, yeah? Okay? Now this is for the benefit again, because sometimes we may not have had the opportunity to read this story. Let's go to the second one. The second name is Rehab. And Rehab this time is a real prostitute. We find her in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And we know that Joshua had sent spies into the land, sort of to have a strategic overview or a survey of the walls. She receives the spies, hides them in the house. The king's soldiers come and say, where are the spies? I know they are here somewhere, you know. And, 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 and Rahab says, don't have them. I don't know. Got me? You know, and she protects them and says, I, I think maybe they left already by the back door. Go, 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 quick, quick, quick. Chase after them. And so she fools the king's soldiers, sends them out the wrong way, and then tells the spies, now I save you, Hong. When you come and attack the land, you spare me and my family. And the spies made a covenant with her, and she was saved. She was saved. And it's a big theological debate or ethics debate to say, so is it okay to lie or not? That one, I won't teach now. Okay? So now she's married to... Salman, at least according to his genealogy, and they have a son, and the son is Boaz. Now to Boaz, now we have this name called Ruth. And Ruth you can find in the book of Ruth. And it's a very short book, you can read it in, a, in one sitting, it's a romantic novel, yeah? But Ruth was a Moabite. Rahab was... Uh, uh, a Gentile also in Canaan land, right? So was Tama, who was part of the Canaanite people. So Ruth is a Moabite. She is the widowed daughter of, a uh, daughter-in-law of Naomi. And we know that uh, after the husbands pass away, uh, Naomi says, look, you, you, can, you can stay in your country. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And the famous line, you know, I will follow you. You know, your God will be your, my God. Your people will be my people. You know, beautiful, beautiful line. And she goes back and she's really poor because she's got no relatives. So we find her, she's gleaning in the fields of, of Boaz. And Boaz is a relative of Naomi. Lo and behold. Right? And finally, Naomi says, oh, you, 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 of all the fields you go, you got to go to Boaz one. So never mind. You've been okay, good girl. Tonight you go and you sleep at his feet. Whoa. Hey, not good news, by the way. Eh? Okay, when we read it, we don't understand. The Moabites were known for sexual immorality. Now, even if she didn't want anything and she lies down there, guess what's going to happen? Talk can go around, you know, Boaz can get the wrong, wrong, wrong impression and so on. Things could go really bad. But we know as the story goes, everything turns out okay. Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer, a type of Jesus Christ, and he marries Ruth and they have... Obed. And from Obed, we have 
Jesse, and from Jesse, we have David. And guess what? Ruth is King David's great-grandmother. Gentiles. But coming into all in the family. <laughs> and we have a fourth lady. Her name is Bathsheba. Now, you must know her. Yeah? If you have not heard of this name called Bathsheba in your Christian walk, either you just got saved yesterday or you have been asleep in church. Now you have not read your Bibles, maybe. Now the interesting thing about this genealogy is that you look at Matthew, you go back and you, it says that we, that, uh, uh, we have Solomon, David the king begot Solomon by her of Uriah. That's what the literal translation is. Her name is not even mentioned. And so you can see that she probably was shrouded in this kind of a, 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 a thought that Solomon, you know, I mean, this is not real. Okay, it's, it's shameful. David's adultery, David's murder or planned murder of, of Uriah the Hittite. In the first place, she marries a Hittite. Whether is she a Gentile or a Jew, she went to marry a Hittite. Not good news. And now she becomes the mother of Solomon and who is now, of, of, as we know, the wisest man of Israel. Look at these four names, guys. Do you want them in your family tree? Now, these women are not of great repute, can you see? In the first place, in Jewish genealogy, it was unnecessarily, uh, unnecessary to put in any uh, female. It's totally unusual. And what more, these four, men's, uh, four names who are, who are questionable in terms of their sexual relations with the men, yes? Okay, you read their stories. They're questionable, questionable in their reputation. In their relationships with the people of Israel, suspicions of illegitimacy. Is it real or is it not? Is it allowed or not? Is it formal or not? Is it accepted or not? But Matthew says, I'm putting them and although we look at their circumstances, we, we may say, oh, not very good women. Do you know that Tamar was declared more righteous than Judah by himself? He said, you are more righteous than me. That's in Genesis chapter 38, verse 26. Rahab was quoted by the apostle James, in case you don't know, to say that she is an example of faith. She believed in the God of Israel to say, God of Israel is going to give the land, so I'm going to trust this God. It was her faith that saved her, actually. The third person called Ruth, she was regarded as a virtuous woman. That's what Boaz declared over her. And do you know something about Bathsheba? She was not the seductress, although she bathed on the rooftop. She was actually more a victim of a circumstance, of someone's greed and lust. But they were all definitely misunderstood. And they are what I call great material for today's church gossip. Perhaps Matthew's objective was to prepare the way for this one, one lady. For this one lady called Mary. If you know the story of Mary... She was also suspected of conception outside of wedlock. 
And so Matthew, in presenting Jesus as the Christ, he knew what the gossip was of that day. He knew that up until that time, years later, the Jews were still talking about it. You realize, you know, good things are people spread slower. Bad things are very fast. Yeah? And bad things sometimes can stay for a long time. Mary was betrothed to Joseph and then she was found with child. Do you think as best as they tried to keep it a secret, word might have gone out? And there was a village gossip that Jesus himself was an illegitimate child. John chapter 4, verse 41. The Jews actually look at Jesus and he says, We were not born of fornication. Now you must read that one verse huh, sarcastically. Yeah? We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. Sound very spiritual. But actually pointing to Jesus, say, I, I don't know about you. Lah. Maybe your mother fornicated. You see that? Then a few verses down, he says, Do we not rightly say you are a Samaritan? Samaritan, Samaritan is a half Jew. See, they, they have suspicions that he is not fully Jew. You see that? And so Matthew had to address this. And we see a beautiful way of how he included four names down there to introduce a fifth name. We introduce four Gentiles, as it were, into a genealogy of the Jews to see that although we are declaring a Jewish Messiah and His kingdom, God includes the Gentiles in His plan. We serve a great God, don't we? A wonderful God. And sometimes you and I, we may have a past that we are ashamed of, you know. And somehow we are unable to shake that off. Can I tell you and encourage you, in Jesus Christ, we have a new start. Amen? You have to know who you are. One final observation, and we must quickly move on, is that as we look at all these, we look at this second part here of good and bad kings. Not everyone here was a saint. If you know your kings, um, you would know that some are good and some are not good. In fact, some were downright nasty and evil, diabolical even. They were idolatrous. They worshipped idols and they did crazy things even to the people of God. So Matthew is not ashamed. He includes both the positive as well as the negative. Now, let me show it to you in another way. This may not give you a, a, a very good picture. Let me illustrate this in another way. So, these are all the names. If you go on a scale, these will be the very good. This will be the very bad. Can you see Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah? These were times they had revival in Israel. And there are some names that Matthew left out to preserve the number 14. And these would be the names that I just put it in. So you can see we, we have quite an even spread of good kings and not so good kings. In fact, I think there were more bad kings than good kings. Yeah. And if you look at the life of Israel, this is how it looks. It's quite a ding-dong thing, right? Up and down, up and down, up and down. And so wouldn't it be wonderful that, isn't it great that we have good leaders in Singapore? Praise the Lord. Okay, um, I don't want to be penduluming up and down like this. 
but you can see the good kings as well as the bad kings. And this is to show you that even in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it's not about perfection. Jesus himself is perfect. And yet whatever happens to the nation of Israel, whether the good king or the bad king, God works out his purposes in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? How's that for observations, everyone? Is that okay, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get into some implications for us. Because we can read all this, and I believe that some of you might already be encouraged to, to, to see how detailed Matthew was, and there can be even messages that will be within it. What does it mean for us when we talk about Kingdom 101? We want to know the King, we want to know His Kingdom, and we want to receive our assignments. Very quickly. First one, to know the King. Who is Jesus to us? We look at the genealogies, and we've already ascertained these are historical records. If you go into the history of Israel, all these names are there. They are real people. They are not myths. They are not fairy tales. And Jesus is included in this historical record. And this is a very, very important point for us to know our King, that He is a real person who walked here on this earth. Amen? He, he is not some myth like the Greek gods, you know, uh, we have funny names and so on and they wake up with uh, bad moods and bad tempers. Jesus is not like that. He is God who fully became man. Jesus is a historical character and He is a person who has Jewish roots and He connects both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want you to know and declare that the centrality of all Scripture is Jesus Christ. We find that Jesus is not only King of Israel. That's what Matthew is trying to tell the Jewish people. But through an Abrahamic understanding, Jesus is also the King of all. Yeah, he's going to return soon and He will establish His King because he, His name is mentioned again in Revelations. And he's seen now as the Lion of Judah. You see? It continues from this. He is referred to as the Root of David. He's not just a son of David. He's the Root of David that holds David up. He was before David. And just in case you get confused, Revelations 22 declares him in verse 16. He is the Root of David and then the offspring of David. Now that will really blow your mind. He's both before and He comes after, you see? Then He's before as the Son of God and He comes after as the Son of Man. Praise the Lord. I want you to know that your King, Jesus Christ, is real. We serve a living King. As we know this King, we must embrace His kingdom. Let's understand some aspects of His kingdom. First, please be convinced about this. God's kingdom will advance. Whether you like it or not, whether you are in it or not, whether you are aligned with it or not, God is sovereign in His rule and His kingdom will advance. Amen? 
it didn't matter whether we had a Hezekiah and the next day we had a Manasseh or we had a Jehoshaphat and later on we had someone else who wanted to turn the tables and everything and it looks really crazy. There's no hope whether they were in Israel, in the land or whether they were in Babylon. God's kingdom continues to move forward, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this must comfort us and strengthen us. Because when we see world events that are happening, you know, that, that's happening all over the place, sometimes we get scared. But God says we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's a promise. So when you look at this genealogy, you know, you see the kingdom divided, you see the kingdom crumble, you see them come back into the land, they're no longer their own people, and then it ends with Jesus and all new hope starts again. God's kingdom will advance. The question is, are you in it? Are you aligned with it? This is a kingdom whose invitation is by grace. Not because of how good we are. He invites us to be a part of His kingdom by grace. You notice Matthew starts with a genealogy addressed to the Jews. It's expressed this invitation is expressed through the Jews, but it's extended to the Gentiles. This is a place where you stand up and shout, Hallelujah! No, no, no. It's not just a Jewish kingdom. It's a global kingdom. And we are invited, amen? And He demonstrates it by, by showing you that this kingdom is not only for the strong, the rich, or the elite, but it includes the oppressed, the outcast, the poor, the needy, the marginalized, and the lost. Go ask Tama. Go ask Ruth. Go ask Rahab. And go ask Bathsheba. This should signal something for us. Because today, we only elevate those who are strong. We only look at those who are rich. But God's kingdom of grace invites the unworthy and welcomes anyone who would acknowledge and believe in the King called Jesus. The next thing we learn about the kingdom is that as we are invited and we say, yes, yes, I want to follow this King. Do you know what? That actually qualifies us for royalty. Oh, this is amazing. You just say, Lord, I believe in the king. I believe you are the king. And in Bible uh, uh, language, it says that we are grafted into this family tree. We are just put into the family. You and I don't even belong or don't even deserve anything that we are talking about here tonight. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we just believe. And we are put into this royal family. We are all in the family. And do you know that in the New Testament, Paul actually talks about this. This is not any old tree. It's an olive tree. And it says, because of your faith as Gentiles, you were grafted into this olive tree. This olive tree that is given, or at least symbolic of Israel, we are grafted in. But those who did not believe, they were taken out. Then he warns and he says, you don't be complacent. Don't be arrogant and laugh at your brothers who did not believe, who are the Jews. 
Because if you don't believe through unbelief and faith, a uh, lack of faith, you too will be taken off. See, faith brought, brought us in and faith will keep us in. And we are grafted in to partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Friends, do you know that you are blessed because Israel was first blessed? Amen? So if you want to embrace the kingdom, understand the alignment, align with Israel. Align with the people of God because that's where we draw the fatness of the olive tree. Amen? Draw and align from the heritage, the richness of Israel. Align and learn from the uh, good lessons as well as the bad lessons or the not-so-good things. And don't commit the same mistakes. It's exciting because whatever your lineage or your background, today in Jesus Christ, we qualify as royalty. Amen to that. Yeah? But let's look at the last one here. The kingdom is both individual and corporate. Kingdom is both individual as well as corporate. See, genealogy is about identity, heritage, and belonging, and we have already seen that. But we see that God calls an individual, but through that one individual, He could not have produced Jesus. It would involve an entire family called Israel before salvation could arrive. Listen to that. God calls an individual but involves an entire family that salvation can be, can, can, can be shared with everyone else. And so this shows us that both family and corporate identity is a key kingdom principle. That you and I, each of us, we have an assignment and we will have to fulfill that to the best we can, but we don't do it by ourselves. We must connect in with the church, the body of Jesus Christ, as well as the people of God, Israel themselves. Are you following me? So don't ever forget that because today, the teaching is largely fringed upon what I call individualism. It's all about you. God just wants to bless you. God wants to make you rich. You know, that's not the idea. God calls an individual, blesses an individual, but preserves corporate identity. That's what kingdom living is all about. It is not your own kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. Now, as we know the king, and as we embrace his kingdom, now we have to ask this question. How do we receive our assignments? Can we move about our assignments? And a more pertinent question that comes out of that is, what defines you? Do you know we have no problem accepting point number one, Jesus is Messiah? We have no problem declaring, hey, kingdom, kingdom, sing song kingdom. But many people struggle with their assignments. Because after we say Jesus is king and we declare his kingdom, we say, I, I cannot. Uh, but I I'm not good enough. You don't understand, I come from a family, yeah, you understand all these things? You know, we, we immediately will go back to who we were or who we are or, you know, and all that. But if you look at this whole genealogy, do you see something? We see dysfunctional families. Totally. All of Israel, dysfunctional families. We see parents who didn't, who, who didn't do their jobs. We see grandparents who do crazy things also. We see kings who are not supposed to do other things, you know, do things that kings were not supposed to do. 
We see governors later on when they come in, they're no longer kings. They also did not fulfill their assignments. Dysfunctional. Whether good or bad, everything, it was not perfect. Can I say something to you? Welcome to the family. Welcome to church. We are a dysfunctional family. But God's kingdom will still go on. Amen? So you can keep looking at the dysfunction in your family or in your church or in your circumstances, or you can look to Jesus Christ. So if you want to know your assignment, you want to receive that, you must look at Jesus. His family tree wasn't very impressive. He came from a dysfunctional family line. Did it affect his mission? No. He knew his father's will. And he aligned with the father and he fulfilled his assignment. What's your family situation? How's your church doing? Your spiritual family. You, if you keep focusing on all those things, you will miss your assignment, you know that? If you keep telling yourself, I cannot, I was not born, born in the right family, uh, I, I, I don't have the right genes, uh, you know, uh, my, my, my church worship not anointed, you know. If you keep saying all these things, your eyes are off Jesus. Receive your assignment. What defines you? Who defines you? Maybe it's a better question. So if we look at this, Jesus, son of David, royalty. Jesus, son of Abraham, family. Now Jesus, we are all in Christ. So what does that tell us? We are both family and we are both royalty. Praise the Lord. And so with royalty and family, we come with a whole bunch of authority. Now if that doesn't convince you, and then, then we can read Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. What is this promise that Paul was talking about? We go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 again. Now you know this very, very well. But let me break it down for you to show you the promise that you and I have in Christ. If you and I, we are in Jesus Christ, we are considered Abraham's seed. This is what the Word of God says. We are heirs. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We have this promise. What does the promise contain? The promise obviously contains land, just in case you think it is Freehold land, um, I'm about to disappoint you. It promises you people, prominence, prosperity, provision, protection, and purpose. Can you see all this? God is saying to Abraham, look, I'm making you a promise. If you will get out of your country from your, come out of your family. And I think I need to tell some of you here in a symbolic way, come out of your family. You're in Christ. Okay? I'm not saying be rude to your parents. Huh? I'm saying symbolically. Come out of your family. Come out of the household now. Because today you are in a new family. You are in royalty. Come out of the household. You are in the household of God. Abraham, you've tried everything. You've tried all kinds of tricks to, to have a son. You ain't having a son. But if you would come out of that family and come into my promise, I'm going to give you inheritance. 
That's why I call it perspective. God is saying, look, you've tried everything all the other gods. They don't work. Change that perspective. Come out from that understanding and align with me. Now, if you'll do that, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to get you a great nation. I'll bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. That's protection. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't that a wonderful promise? But it starts with what? Perspective. Let me summarize it and make it even simpler for everyone to see. Look at those two. It starts with this and it must end with that. Now, many people get stuck inside here. Can you see this? All the prosperity, all the provision teaching, right? It starts with this. It ends with this. It starts with perspective. It ends with a purpose right at the end. I looked at it and I realized it starts with alignment and it ends with assignment. Say amen. <laughs> Do these two words sound familiar to you now? God says, get, get out of your, your old thinking. You understand? Get, get out of that kind of a, uh, your, your paradigm, that parochial thinking that I, I can't do this because my, my, my family don't have the name. I, I don't have the money. I don't have the know-how. I'm not good enough. Uh, I came from a bad, bad background and so on. Uh, I was this. I was misunderstood. God says, come out of that. Align with me. Once you align with me, I'm going to give you a platform. That's what a place, that's what land is. You know, Israel, it was not just for them. From that land, they were to branch out. I will make you great. I will draw people to you. I will bless you. And I will curse anyone who curses you. Now, for what reason? All this is to enable you for your assignment. Can you see how key alignment with the king and with his kingdom and with his purposes and our mindsets and his ways will be important for us to know our assignment that we can then fulfill our assignment? But as we look at this, we still have to answer this one question and come to terms with this to know that it is a personal decision with personal responsibility and accountability. No one's going to make this decision for you to say, Lord, I want my assignment. Lord, I want to align so that I can be assigned. You look at the genealogy that Matthew has shown us. We look inside there and there are parents and there are children. There are good kings and then there are bad kings and then there are bad kings and then suddenly there's good kings. It just shows us that although you and I, we expected to fulfill our roles as, as, as godly parents and, and godly uh, uh, grandparents and so on, you notice that you can do everything you want. It does not necessarily guarantee you good children or obedient ones. Sorry to disappoint you. There's no Pauchia one, you know. Now, some of you would argue with me on that one, but I'm trying to tell you something. You can be as good as you want. The child has a personal decision. Amen, right? At the same time, you can be as bad as you want, and I hope you won't be. If the child makes a personal decision to say, I will follow the king, I will align with his kingdom, he will be a godly one. This point is not about parenting. This point is about personal decision. I'm not teaching parenting here. I'm teaching personal decision. We all have a personal decision to make. Whether to follow the king and the ways of his kingdom. And this is where I want to bring us to. Because 
it is so easy and so natural for everyone to have a, what we call a blame mentality. Let me say it again. You can keep blaming your heritage. You can keep blaming your family line. You can keep blaming your circumstance. You can keep blaming somewhere else. Or you can today say, I will take a personal decision because everything ended with Christ and now begins with Him. You make a personal decision whether or not you want to receive your assignment as people who are in Christ, gathering with all who are in the family as sons and daughters with our deepest desire to do the Father's will, as co-heirs with Jesus Christ to reign with Him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. How do we do for genealogy? Let's bring it to a conclusion. It's been a real challenge, I will tell you. And yet, through this genealogy, I realize that God is not ashamed to reveal things in His Word. We have a reality TV show through this genealogy. We see the weakness of humanity. We also see the sovereignty of our God the mercy of His kingdom, we begin to understand family as well as destiny. And so as we bring this to a close, can I invite you just to put your notes one side and we're going to pray. And in this prayer, I want to invite you to align with the King. I want to invite you to renew your commitment to Him. And if there's anyone that is struggling with a family situation or something that's just hanging over you, a bad name, a misunderstanding, um, whatever it might be, will you look to the person of Jesus Christ and to know that in Him there's a new beginning and there's new hope? Let us pray. Father, we want to thank You for Scripture once again, Lord genealogy, name after name after name. So easy for us to ignore it and just to sweep through it. But Lord, tonight, thank you for showing us again that you are in control of every situation. That Lord, we may have been born into families not of our choice. We could not choose that. But today, we can choose Jesus. We may have been put into situations that may have or may not have been our doing. We may have been victims. We may have inherited a bad situation. But today, we know that in Christ, all things have become new. Lord, we may have had a mentality of always blaming someone else, looking at our parents or judging them and even our grandparents or our great-grandparents in order to say, you know, if they had done this, tonight, Lord, we can say it ends with Jesus and it begins afresh. And so, Lord, you know every heart here, every condition we lift it up to you, Lord. And I declare over every person a new beginning, a fresh start, a renewed mind that they can be transformed to know the good, the acceptable, perfect will of God that as we align with your will, that we will receive our assignment. Enable us, Lord, 
Empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.